Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. I get the wonderful opportunity to speak on one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it is on the fruit of faithfulness. So um, really exciting, really fun. I had a little introduction here, but Pastor Phil said it all. So thank God I'm just going to get right here. You know, it's really cool. Fun fact is to get to here. Pastor Phil asked us, myself, Pastor Andy, Pastor Danny, to come alongside with him and Pastor Roger to be part of this summer series. And we had to read a book, y'all. We had to read an expositional preaching book. Wow, right? It was really great. Great reading. Really, really fascinating. And what Pastor Phil did is he coached us through the process. He let us in on his process of sermonizing, outlining, little tricks here and there of how to really get in the groove of, of, of research and, and masterfully crafting. What's really cool is he also gave us the space to go over our scripts and allow for feedback from one another. And so while the process, grueling, really humbling, really humbling, and I just, um, I think that's something that's just, I'm just so humbled Forget the degree, forget all that. I'm just so humbled that God would um, build that type of culture here at Inspire Churches as we want to um, rightly divide the word of God, that we would give glory to Jesus. And so it's been really, really great. So this summer, our current ser- sermon series is called Summer Gardens. In the life of a genuine believer, it is important for supernatural fruit to grow in our natural gardens of our lives. Remember that supernatural fruit isn't our need to do something and to prove ourselves worthy that we might be on the good side of God and others, but it is the fruit which is the result of believing in something. What is that? It's in the work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit partnering with our willing hearts. Why is that important for us to address and learn about? Here are the three reasons why and are also the foundational truths we have been guided by as we have been speaking on the fruit of the Spirit. And by now, because it's week five, I really hope you've memorized it, because it's really good foundational principles and truths to guide us moving forward. Number one, the Spirit's fruit validates the credibility of our witness. Meaning, does my life, does your life attract others to Jesus Christ? Or does it actually repel people to not even come near Christ? Or how about this? Does your life continue to allow those around you to be indifferent? Because you're not different. There's nothing about you that's different. The second is the Spirit's fruit validates the genuineness of our faith. The question is this. Am I really saved or am I fooling myself? This is such an interesting and heavy thought on the why we need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And it's because of this. It's the evidence that you have submitted to God and you want Him to do His good work in you. Submission and desire. Listen, anyone can call themselves a Christian, you know, just put on your profile. Anyone can come to church and check it off their list of good things to do. 
but does the fruit you bear truly reveal your submission and your fellowship in Jesus? That's heavy. And lastly, the Spirit's fruit is in conflict with the works of the flesh. In other words, is there a war going on inside of me? In contrast to the supernatural fruit of the Spirit in me, does my sinful nature wrestle in war with what God is doing? Do you see your affections, habits, addictions, selfishness come up against what God is doing? Is the fruit of the Spirit growing, winning, being the louder voice and creating new habits in you? Don't get it twisted. The presence of this war is actually a really, really good thing. It's revealing the daily dying of our fleshly desires. Just kind of break it up because I'm not funny. (laughs) So here's an example of what that looks like, what that war looks like inside of you. Take a moment. Are you ever like Mr. Bean? Where you're, you're in a conversation and you got a response to what's being talked about. You got something to say. Let me tell you what's on my mind. Let, let, me, let me give it to you right now. And you're texting and you're going and, and it's like two sentences, three sentences in. Then, you, then there's something inside of you. It's like, you know what? This is not edifying. It's not sanctifying. I do not love this person right now in this text. Select all, delete. Okay. Okay. But you know what? As we keep submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit, our okay text that was so hard to type will be an easier answer to say, or it may be even accompanied with more gentle remarks, more kind gestures, or dare dare I say a more mature, loving response. By the work of the Spirit, we can get there. It's long game, it's long game with God, which is really, really awesome. Author Richard J. Foster puts it in this way. The fruit of the Spirit is the outward evidence of the inward reality of the heart abiding in Christ. As you can see, this series is vital in the life of a Christian because more than becoming a better person, which is all we probably generally want to be, supernatural fruit is a result of what it means to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A life abiding in him and reorienting our lives to, to life-giving rhythms for his glory. Right. I love how Pastor Danny gave us the visual of what the fruit of the Spirit is like. It's like a cluster, a bunch of grapes. It's not fruits like different kinds of fruits having different textures or flavors, but it's of the same fruit. Much like the attributes or character of God. Who he is and how he demonstrates it isn't apart from each other. He is good and he is just. God is peace and he's wrathful. He is self-existent and he is triune. All existing together, not apart from each other. So our text today is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Go ahead, take your Bibles out. And I forgot to do this in the beginning, just a shout out, I have my family and friends here this morning, my brother, my closest friends, John and Roxanne and my cousins, June and Evelyn, just so happy you guys came out from San Jose to be here. Thank you guys. This series is continuing to examine Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians as he corrects and exhorts the believers in this place on what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And as believers today, it still reigns true. 
So let's read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Easy enough, right? There you go. Just do that, and you'll be good. But he continues to describe what that means. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do, so that war inside of you. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. And we're all guilty at some point here. I mean, idolatry, we got that. We got that. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we can't gloss that over. We really can't. This is the place in the text where, so as we move on to the text, this is a place where we have clear instruction of what it means to walk in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So as we put our faith and trust in the work of Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to crucify the flesh with its passions. And those passions are listed, things like those. And as a result, we can bear supernatural fruit in the natural gardens of our lives. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this time, this morning, to be in your house, though a hotel, but we are in your house. And we are gathering, not just here, but your people are gathering all over the Bay Area. And I praise you for that, that you are being worshipped and raised up, God, because you are worthy. And so, Lord, with, our, with your word this morning, Lord, would it illuminate our hearts and minds. Do your good, your good work, God. Do your good work. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today's message is entitled Supernatural Fruitfulness, or Supernatural Faithfulness. There you go. Done. When you hear the word faithfulness, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of marriage. Go ahead, hold her hand, hold his hand. Maybe that's what you think about. Or maybe you start thinking of your sports teams. 49ers literally called the faithful. Or maybe you think of Dub Nation. Dub Nation, faithful. Are you faithful or a bandwagoner? You know, when I started becoming... uh, And you know, we're all up to date with sports because Pastor Phil lets us know. You know that here at Inspire Churches. Or you think of the Warriors, or maybe you think of the A's as you stay faithful. It's a conversation in our house, lots of disappointment, but we stay faithful. Or all the other teams, but we stay faithful, right? Or maybe you think about friendships, your friends, your best friend, the people who have been you side by side, thick and thin, argument and laughter, all that jazz. Or maybe this is what you thought of because all the churchy folks said this, God's love, which is the right answer. Amen? We can say amen. 
Maybe you thought of God's love. In these examples, you can probably point out the qualities of faithfulness, which are consistency, reliability, trustworthiness. That's what kind of makes up what being faithful means. So let's get right into what faithful me- faithfulness means as a believer, as one who's decided to put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And for all those taking notes, for all the students in the house, so that's everybody here, here it is up front so you can follow along as I navigate the word for us this morning. I am going to talk about faithfulness in three ways. Number one, as it originating in God. Number two, fulfilled in Christ. And finally, demonstrated in us as a fruit of the Spirit. Go ahead, write that down. Because I tend to talk a lot, so you can go back to that note and be like, oh, this is where she's at. (laughs) A little bit about myself. For me, my concept of faithfulness developed early on. I I was raised in church after my mom gave her life to Jesus or recommitted her life to Jesus. As young as nine years old, I was captured by the descriptions of God's faithfulness in Sunday school. I put a note here. I just want to give a shout out to Kidsmen if you're in here. Kidsmen. I just want to gently say, when the kids come to, to Kids Church, everything you do from even just sharing about God's word, from every Bible character, every time you utter the name of Jesus, it's falling on good soil. I just, you'll learn more of why this is so important to me, but I just want to encourage you. It does. It does, so thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and what you do for our kids. So what stuck out the most was that the Bible would describe God as a faithful and loving father, a concept that was familiar to me because I had previously gone to catechism at my dad's Catholic church and memorized prayers like our father. But this time, the idea of a heavenly father or faithful father struck me differently. As a little girl, I already knew the difference of the experiences I was having with my earthly fathers, um, step in biological, who were unavailable, disconnected, alcoholic, selfish, and with my stepdad abusive. So when I learned about God the Father, best believe I did everything in my power to learn about him by reading the word of God up and down, anything I could read about in God's word, and I learned how to pray every night to my heavenly dad, asking him, would you be faithful to me? I really did pray that over and over. I even blew kisses to God, because that was my deepest desire, to just be loved by a faithful father. As we get into the content, I recognize that we're going to go over some heavy concepts, so please get ready for that. I'm a teacher and a student at heart, so I really, really love this stuff, but we're here today to really learn something. So today, we're going to take a look at, one of, at the most oftenly used Hebrew word in the Old Testament for the word faithfulness, which is emet. Can we say emet? emet. And it is translated as faithful, reliable, sure, and trustworthy. Emet is used as a concept of truth, a human quality, but what captured my heart as a little girl is that it's also used to describe the divine quality of faithfulness that originates with God. So our first point is faithfulness as originated by God because he is the source and initiator. 
I believe that for many of us, we have been conditioned or discipled to first associate God's faithfulness with ourselves and what he's done for us. When I've asked the question, what is God's faithfulness? Often the answer is what he says he will do and he will do it. He sent his son and he did it. Of course, which isn't wrong, it's true. But by doing this, we essentially make our faith in God very self-centered. It starts with me and what he can do for me. But actually, God's faithfulness first and foremost flows from his character. It begins with who he is. So let's take a look at his character. A guiding principle of God's character. His character is the source of faithfulness. The Bible Project puts it in this way. God is full of faithfulness in the sense that we can count on the consistency of his revealed character. God reveals himself to Moses by saying in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In the Hebrew text, it's written as Yahweh, Yahweh, making sure that Moses understands that God isn't just saying his name twice, like he's stuttering or Moses can't hear him, but he is referring to who he actually is. It's as if God has said, this is who I am. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's characteristic or quality of being faithful is first revealed in the, teg- in the integrity of who he is. What do I mean by that? God eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is a triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have eternally existed together in unimaginable, faithful, loving, joyous fellowship community with one another, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. To be faithful in our sense of the word means to be constant, committed, steady, and trustworthy. So in that sense, that is exactly who our triune God is. He is faithfully constant, committed, steady, and trustworthy to the loving community within himself. How can he be faithful if he has no one in eternity to be faithful to? I'll say that again. How can he be faithful if he has no one in eternity to be faithful to? So again, this is the key for us to understand. Because God is triune and eternal in nature, he has been forever faithful. His faithfulness has been tested over time and nothing or no one can match that. No one can boast. Though we fail, and trust me, we will. I just did this morning. God never fails. Nothing else on earth is as trustworthy, steady, and constant as him. Breathe, because I need to breathe for a moment. It's okay to learn something deep, something to take home, something to really rest in who God is. So you can play that back on our Spotify. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God isn't like us. The natural human quality of faithfulness with us can only go so far, and we try. We try so hard, right? It's like the faithfulness and 
confident commitment we make to a diet and exercise routine. And all those who did keto say amen. It's, <laughs> let's say that twice. It's like the trusted friend whom you shared a secret with and yet it somehow got around. Oh, I, I heard you're moving. I don't know, it just came to my mind. It's not funny, it's really not. I think it's an inside joke, but here we are. Or how about like the vows that were said and celebrated, but were so hard to keep come year five, year 10, and the realization that you don't want to keep them anymore. From God's emet, his faithfulness, from God's faithfulness in character, let's, from God's character of faithfulness, Let's learn how it flows into covenant. Now, let's do what we already know what to do. Let's associate his faithfulness towards his love and saving acts towards us. My note says, LOL. (laughs) Again, we are defining the quality of God first by his character because the outpouring of that will flow through his covenant making. Here's another principle. God's covenant His covenant is the initiation of faithfulness. The ancient word covenant is usually associated or used interchangeably with the modern word contract, but there are defining distinctions between the two. Both need at least two parties, but in a both need at least two parties, but in a contract, while both parties agree to what to what needs to be done or not done, a party can break the contract, causing it to be null and void, pay the fees and penalties, and it's over. Contracts are transactional. Goods and services in exchange for a cost. However, a covenant is a pledge or perpetual promise, not based on the other person's word or ability to keep it. But it's a faithful word and kept through and through with integrity. You don't go into a marriage hoping the other person fulfills their end of the deal. And once they don't stay true, you have the option to leave. Like how a contract would be. Again, null and void. Unfortunately, this is how our culture views marriage and relationships. But in a high view of covenant, you go into a marriage pledging to be faithful to see it all the way through. From death do we part. And all the married people say, amen. The word covenant is used around 280 times in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. In the New Testament, it's used around 33 times, Hebrew 9, 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He isn't transactional. He doesn't say words he doesn't mean. He doesn't pretend or hope or dream that what is said might come to pass. He says it. He sees it through and through from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. That is who God is. God's faithfulness is that. He will do what he says he will do. And in this 
comes the unconditional reality that God will do what he said he will do regardless if you or I are faithful to it. That's what makes it different. He keeps his word because it is, it is the word and because he is triune, eternal, unchanging, completely matchless, matchless to any human experience, you and I can completely count on him. Thank you, God. So again, his character is a source of his faithfulness and his covenant making is a demonstration of his faithfulness. With that, he is our guiding light to how we can begin to understand what it means to be faithful. Here's an important question. And you're probably thinking this. I thought this. If God's faithfulness is that what he says is what he will do, then what has he said and what will he be doing? Let's look to scripture to help us understand the answer. Our second point for today is faithfulness fulfilled in Christ. Faithfulness first originated by God and secondly is fulfilled in Christ. Let's go back to the garden. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know the story. God created mankind. Mankind was in loving relationship with God. Mankind disobeyed and then, was, then were punished. But it doesn't end there. What we see is God initiating a covenant promise to restore them back to paradise. Are you ever like that with your kids? You punish them and that's it. And you forget about it and you move on. I'm not sure if that's the right way, but guilty. <laughs> but it doesn't end there with Adam and Eve. What we see is God is in, initiates a covenant promise to restore them back to paradise. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this announcement, what is called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, God declares that God's people will have victory over the serpent, in contrast to Eve not having victory. It will be through her seed, Jesus, and in him, his victory extends to us, his children. So here it is, in other words, God created and it was good. Creation disobeyed and it became corrupt. But God, in his faithfulness, in mutual commitment, made a plan of salvation for the unfaithful. Do you see it? God is faithful and we are not. Left to our own devices, we can't measure up. You really can't. And the second part of God's revealed plan before Adam and Eve are no longer allowed in paradise as a consequence to their disobedience, God does this in verse 21, same chapter. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God provides a covering, a gesture of forgiveness for them through a sacrifice. An innocent animal slaughtered and skinned so that they would be comforted by God's faithfulness to them. It's not just a Sunday school story that we hear about. Oh yeah, Genesis. Yeah, creation. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I've been there. I've made those snarky remarks in my head. But if you really take the time to take a look at it and study and meditate and really ask God who he is, I mean, he lays it out in the very beginning. There's no surprises. His covenant making continues all throughout biblical history through the covenant of works, also known as the old covenant. We sing songs, old covenant. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the patriarchs. And finally, through the covenant of grace 
that takes us into the new covenant through Jesus Christ. God declared in the garden that her offspring or her seed would crush or bruise the head of the serpent. And here it is. Jesus, the eternal son, has come to live a sinless, innocent, human life, emptying himself, putting aside his godhood, faithful to the mission to be the sacrifice for the remissions of our sins unto death. And in him, what God said he would do, he does it. Jesus, God with us, bringing in new life, that we may be reconciled to the Father, and ultimately our hope in glory to be restored back in paradise, to paradise. Thank you for sitting through the denseness, but thank God for his faithfulness, and thank God that we have the resources and the tools to understand this. He is the source, the initiator, and brings it into fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, because of that, we are now able to walk in the spirit and bear supernatural fruit in the natural gardens of our lives as he does his good work in us. I sped through this, you guys. I'm on my third point now. Our response time is going to be great later, you guys. Third point, demonstrated faithfulness as demonstrated in us as a fruit of the spirit. Let's refer back to the text, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verses 24 to 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To bear supernatural fruit is something that doesn't happen overnight. Although we wish, right? When you ask to be patient, you just wish that in that moment you'd be patient. But really, it's, that's, that's the moment that we're trying to build patience out of us or God allows us to build patience through. To bear supernatural fruit is something that doesn't happen overnight. Just like the growth of a fruit from a tree takes time, care, even the outgrowing of where it first came from. And really for a seed to become a full-blown plant and to bloom with buds of flowers or mini fruit and for it to ripen into something healthy and delicious, how is that just an arbitrary thing that happens in life? It's actually truly a miraculous thing if you think about it. And that's probably why Apostle Paul exhorts the work of the Spirit as fruit to be cultivated, to grow and to be inspected in us. Remember nine-year-old Kat praying every night to her heavenly father? Nine-year-old Kat praying every night for a faithful father to be revealed in God. It definitely took years of learning about God in Sunday school and walking with him to grow deeper in my faith. But it finally really clicked for me the summer before my freshman year started. Shout out to all the middle schoolers. I was at youth camp, and the gospel made sense. John 3.16 made sense. I wanted the gift of the Father through the sacrifice of his Son. That summer, I gave my life to God and didn't turn back. Aside from the battles of the idols in my heart, you know how it is. It's a tricky time to be in your youth. But honestly, the pain of not having a faithful and loving earthly father was there deep inside, always gnawing away, causing insecurities, worthlessness, 
envy and striving for approval and value from the men in my life or those in authority in my life. Fast forward two years and years of no contact with my biological dad and deciding to bury it really deep and finally really living for Christ and can't be distracted by that mess. I told myself there is no use for yearning from of my earthly father. At a prayer night, shout out to prayer nights, coming back in God's, God's plan. <laughs> At a prayer night sometime in the year of 2011, I felt the spirit prompt me to pray for my dad. It's quite shocking. I remember the urge to resist and rebel, but I prayed for him. I prayed for the man who cheated on his first wife and then also cheated on my mom. I prayed, for the, I prayed for the dad who I constantly tried to get his attention but couldn't. And ultimately, I thought it was because I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't worthy enough. There was something about me that must have been so terrible that he wanted nothing to do with me. I learned it was his capacity and emotional IQ, but here we are. Which in turn caused me to date guys just like my dad. I prayed for him. In that time of prayer, I then felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to tell me to reach out to him. Man, God, what are you? Why do you do that? It had been almost 10 years since I saw him, and he didn't even know I already had a child. My kid was like three years old. To make this long story short, I was not expecting God's faithfulness in my life to also reign true in my dad's life. Somehow, some way, God had commissioned me to reconnect so that I knew about God. So what I knew about God, he could know too. I remember sobbing in the car because I was so afraid and insecure to see him because I couldn't handle the rejection. But I was at war, you guys. I had given my life to Jesus Christ. I believe in what the Bible says. I believe I'm commissioned. And this is where I had to really figure out, do I really believe that God wants to reconcile all men to him? Do I really believe that he can touch the darkest of hearts? Could he really forgive betrayal? But something happened while I was praying, again, the prompting of God. I was led by the Spirit to not see my dad as my dad, but to see him as a brother in Christ, as someone who needed him just like how I need him. And how humbling is that? Because here I am. I'm good. I'm just fine. The gospel has transformed my life. I can move on. But that's not how it works. That's really not how it works. So I was led by the Spirit not to see my dad as my dad, but to see him as a brother in Christ or someone who needed the good news. And boy, that changed everything for me. When I went to see my dad, I could not believe that when I asked him if I could share about God and if I could pray with him was something that he would even be open to. He is the man who I actually 
in, in Sunday school, our pastor had asked us to write out our testimony. And I must have given my life to Christ maybe a few months before that. And he asked us, write out your testimony. So of course mine was like two pages long. I'm not sure what I wrote in there. And my pastor at the time said, I want you to read that to someone who, who you want them to know what God has done in your life. I didn't remember until I started studying this and God was reminding me of this, that it was my dad who I read that letter to. I remember we were parked in front of my mom's house in his uh, pickup truck and I said, Dad, I wanna read something to you. So I'm here reading it. And he's like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Filipino dad. <laughs> and you know, there was, it was just, fell flat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> But here I am years later being prompted to see him, being prompted to share again. But I couldn't believe that when I would see him, that he would be open to what I had to share. That he would be open for us to pray together. That he would be open to help me lead him into a prayer of confession Fast forward seven years later, lots in between. When he was dying in his deathbed, I spent the last weeks I had with him reading scripture at his bedside and praying with him even though he could no longer respond. But till this day, I have the comfort of forgiveness, freedom, peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that my heavenly father who was faithful to me was also faithful to my earthly dad. I can't make this stuff up. This was a kind of faithfulness that I could not have done on my own. You see, this is supernatural faithfulness demonstrated through a willing heart, an obedient heart, but really by the power of God. I was just there. I just, I just gave my life to Christ. Not on my own merit, but by the power of God, he was able to do this. God demonstrates his faithfulness through us. When you accepted him to be your Lord and Savior, he has now committed himself to you. Because that's who he is. He is faithful, constant, steadfast, the rock on which you can stand on. His faithfulness through all generations has been tried, tested, and true. God is faithful. And as I end, here we are. Are you a faithful person? Would the people around you describe you as a faithful person? Do you show up when you say you will? Do you respond to God's call when you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit is prompting you? Are you available, willing? Or do you only do things to serve yourself, to evade evade the, the work of God in our hearts and our lives, to evade the cultivation of fruit in our lives because I'd rather be comforted, comfortable. I'd rather be in my own bubble. I'd rather be in my own castle that I've made for myself, a moat, so no one can come in and destroy it. Does your life reflect the faithfulness of God? Out of the abundance of God's faithfulness in Christ, does your life bear the good fruit to show how truly good 
and trustworthy God is. When the war inside of you against the spirit in your flesh begins, do you ultimately put your faith and trust in God so that, so that he can do his good work in you? Or it's, there's no place of submission and desire in your heart for that. When your faithfulness is tested, do you repent and recalibrate your rhythms with life-giving practices? When situations arise and bearing fruit of the Spirit will be the most important thing to do, do you submit and even desire to produce the fruit? Our everyday lives require us to be faithful. Faithful in our schedules and routines, faithful to showing up to your shift, faithful to show up in your class, faithful in your marriage, faithful to feed your children, bathe them and help them with their homework. That last part. We all have some sort of faithfulness oozing out of us, but from today's message, I pray that when you think of yourself as a faithful follower in fellowship with Christ, I pray that you first behold the greatness of God's faithfulness. And from that, may you respond to the work of the Spirit as supernatural fruit may begin or continue to grow in the natural gardens of our lives. If you can stand with me, I just want to pray for you. You want to pray for me? I want to pray for this word. God, when we say you're faithful, I want it to be 100% true in my heart, in my mind, and the way I live my life. And so, God, I proclaim and declare you are so faithful. You are so good and trustworthy. Help us. Help us that we could reflect that, that what we've said, we believe in. Because of who you are and what you have done, having faithfully sent your son to die on our behalf, which we don't deserve, and yet you've done it. You are faithful and I am not, and thank you for that grace. Lord, today I repent of my unfaithfulness. I repent for the moments and times where I don't believe, I don't. And so I I do everything in my power. But Lord, today, as we reflect, as we respond, help us, God, remind us again, stir our hearts, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. This is our desire, we want to bear supernatural fruit. We want to be like you. We want our lives to point to you, Jesus. So Lord, do what only you can do, and I pray that we can respond. In Jesus' name, amen.